0: Thanks Alex for uh, joining us on um, this chat. So essentially what we talk about is we try to learn from uh, folks who have been in e-commerce for a while and uh, we try to kind of like gather some insights which we can share with the wider community of uh, e-commerce operators that use Conigl in over 80 countries now. Um, So just a quick thing like so basically conigal is 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 an automation software for e-commerce merchants uh, which helps them uh, automate a lot of growth profitable growth strategies on their uh, store so we are big on uh, how to make real money uh, profitability uh, not not just gmv uh, but real profitability so but anyways so to start with uh, could you please like kind of introduce your background what you've been doing uh, and uh, why you care about e-commerce.
1: Okay, sure. Um, my name is Alex Vibo, uh, obviously, and I'm from Indonesia. I am actually currently a, a member in Berka Venture, which is a VC company, and I'm in charge of the growth of the brand in that company. And I also run my own consultancy agency called Adsvisory, this one right here. And uh, we do help startups and medium businesses to sort of digitize their process, uh, transform their business into the digital space, and um, and basically again uh, like like your company, we're here to help them to make profit, to make real money, you not know, GMV and growth. And um, yeah, and since I was, I'm really focused on the digital transformation and giving them the digital advantage. Most of the work involved um, selling online. Um, e-commerce marketplaces as well for some of the retail brands and um, yeah and 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 that will be a bit of a challenge especially here in Indonesia where the market is huge and the population is huge and we have a lot of uh, e-commerce marketplace and e-commerce operator here as well
0: cool cool so I I think a lot of people uh, kind of uh, we see um, a lot of content uh being written around like what to do uh, like we see like okay these are the three ways in which you can make a million dollars a year right like i mean and, and what we realized is that uh, the more we read that we kind of uh, end up doing the same things like what others are doing and it doesn't really help you make uh, a lot of money anyways so but i think the key thing that we also the way we think about things is that there are some things that you shouldn't do right there are like there could be 100 ways in which people could become successful but there are 110 percent there are few things that people if they don't do they will surely not fail right like so it's like or you're sure to fail if you do these three things so in your experience what are the if you could like kind of uh, highlight three things that people surely shouldn't do which is a short recipe should, for... Should, should,
1: shouldn't do or should do? Shouldn't, shouldn't do. Shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the biggest one for my experience, the, the number... Well, let's start with number three. Yeah. Okay, number three is where um, you you don't plan for a long term. So you only have a short term plan and and think that, you know, um, you have a great idea and it will be successful in the first go. So and, and I think you, you should be more realistic and, and, and have a longer plan and do a bit more research and that sort of things. Um, number two is uh, you are just looking for traction. I mean it, it works for a short while, but you can see now all the, the investment bubbles popped. everybody it's, it's in trouble at the moment. and, um, and you once you, set your company into a, a traction gathering more or traction um, seeking mode, what happened is you are you're always striving for the next funding round. And when that funding dries up, that's it, your company is gone. And um, if you wanna build a st- sustainable and, and good companies, I think this is something that you need to avoid. Unless you're just there for the the gold rush, I guess, then it's totally a different story. But the number one uh, problem that I see uh, be, becoming the biggest issue for all the the digital startups and especially the e-commerce is they think digital marketing is a magic box. You put money ads and they get money coming out. I think that's that's one of the biggest issue which burns them a lot of money and and didn't get the return that they want. I think that should be the, the top three I can think of. <laughs> yeah,
0: cool, cool. So I think let's uh, let's get uh, like dive a dip, bit deeper into your number one. Which is like ads is like this magic box. So essentially, um, so this is what we see right on the internet. Like here, sign up for say Shopify as a platform, uh, create your store, um, get a logo design. Uh that too, you don't need to do that now. You can use any of these AI <laughs> tools to do it. Uh connect to some uh like find some product photographs or import with like tons of these tools from Alibaba and uh sign up for a google ads account facebook account and start running ads and like like and then the next thing you see in the next screen is that they're driving a lamborghini from their house <laughs> 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 so, so, so it's like i think uh and this kind of paints a really uh people who are really finding uh, good products or building good products and then like going through the grind of like kind of building a really good profitable business they kind of become disheartened. Like, is this the way to go? And this also sets unrealistic expectations for agencies. For example, when they go out, oh, I I spent like $10,000 on ads and I need to get like at least like $15,000 in GMV, right? Like, I mean, something on those. Mm -hmm. So so when do ads really work according to you? Like say say Uh if a brand wants to um, use ads to grow their sales so when does it work
1: uh, i think it has to be um using ads within their the whole marketing strategy the 360 and depending on which phase are they on let's say for argument's sake um we do like uh, i did a client uh, which is the, it's a new brand right and they just want conversion straight away they just want to well i want i want this 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 high ROAS let's say ROAS uh, they want it 15 or even 10 at starting well the brand is very new and it's just burning money and maybe in that in that phase they have to do like probably just an awareness campaign but with that saying it has to be part of the whole marketing campaign like it, it can't be just that it can't be as i said it can't be just a magic box where you put in money you get tra- uh, you get the conversions right away you get traffic but is it the right traffic that so sort i of think there's some something that to be analyzed and it, it is it is a process and uh, i find that ads really really work if you are very patient and you don't just drop a bomb uh in a month three months five months and then you said oh the ads doesn't work and it stopped because it does take the algorithm to to kick in and also to support your other marketing activities as well your social media and that sort of thing it, it has to be it has to be a 360 thing for for the ads to work if you just one ads and um, probably you you've been um enticed by the 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 gurus out there saying that oh this is so easy you know just make this and then you're you and money and you get this straight away yeah i mean you know if you want to have a hit and run business you might able to do it but if you're looking for a sustainable business it, it does take time and you just need to spread and the, the the budget and make sure it's consistent the consistency is more important than than the actual bomb itself i think that's that's consistency is where the ads really work
0: so, just to so so, a lot of folks that uh, who who are uh, a part of our community are actually uh, previously all these people actually came online during COVID. So they were running like offline B two B businesses, and then they decided to add a D two C component. And uh, because obviously they had no option, uh, a lot of them were about to like kind of essentially fold up. So, just for their sake, um, can you explain uh, like in very simple terms what Roas is?
1: Okay, so Ross, uh, there's a different uh, expert saying different things, but for me, Ross is very simple. It's a return of ad spend, uh, how much you are um, spending for your ads and how much you gain from the ad spend. Not the total revenue, but actually the revenue gain from your ads. It, it does, uh, it, it does uh, pose a bit of a challenge uh, because it does need a, a, a proper tracking for you to be able to to track those revenue properly some some small operators especially for those businesses that don't, they don't have a brick and mortar business you, they just take the whole revenue just uh, divided the the whole revenue or the, the revenue gain from the ads uh, divided by the ad spend and then then this is where you get the, the return of ad spend or roas
0: so just just a quick thing so say say today uh, some there is this shopify store um, which is which is like a fashion store in some part of the world and they decide to run facebook ads and they spend like say thousand dollars um and they are only doing shopify right they don't have any offline presence for example just to make things simple and they get like for the duration of the campaign um they get like two thousand dollars in sales right so essentially ROAS for them would be two thousand divided by thousand that's correct so now uh let's take this one step further but so what we see is like usually during these kind of campaigns you run an ad today some people will come and visit your website then they will go back and talk to people you know do more research and then after like say like 20 days they come back and buy it right by the time suppose your campaign is already ended so how do you technically what is the best way to attribute do you still attribute the sale to this campaign or no or till what what time do you attribute these sales
1: uh, i guess uh, that's also possibly a challenge i think this is about uh, the company or the the marketer self-discipline because you need to set an allocated time uh, a set time to calculate your ROAS regardless whether the attribution has come in before or after because it will roll over the the problem that um, some marketer has is when the client or the owner asks for the reason the report straight away so you Attribute uh, you do the uh, the one week attribution. Sometimes the uh, the next report will be fourteen days. The next report will be one month. If you set for one month, then you have to wait for the whole month. For me myself, in in my uh, agency or my my guys, we only use two weeks because then it'll be more tactile for us to do uh, a- adjustment. But that's it, two weeks at a time. So once you do a three two weeks period, you have a trend, and that that the rollover attribution will create that trends, and you you sort of have like an accurate data.
0: So just to quickly summarize our discussion so far uh, so essentially what you're saying is that uh Ruas is like return on ad spend you spend some money you get some money essentially right mm-hmm. uh, yes, and and according to you uh the time you need to attribute from a visitor visiting an online store to making a purchase in your case shouldn't be more than two weeks
1: mm-hmm.
0: so is to, is to that,
1: help you to help you analyze yeah
0: yeah is that correct is that correct yes that's
1: that's that's the habit that we we have in in my agency
0: awesome awesome so okay so this is this is quite interesting right like because mm-hmm. uh, uh we also like so so when somebody comes to an agency right and and when they start talking to you like uh, how can you help us grow right <clears throat> right and then you'll say okay there is this whole you would, you just referred briefly to that whole marketing 360 angle right so what all are the other components in that 360 like one is ads ads that we discussed
1: of course of course uh, ads is one one of them and of course there's the social media that's the the next big thing right after social media then you need to have your online presence it can be uh, it can be a whatsapp it can be your store it can be your marketplace yeah. um, anything that uh, that brings your your product uh, uh, online and you also have your uh. For me, it's it's some sort of like a CRM, but for me, it's the like customer engagement, right? Because uh, you you want to get them uh, to uh, what do you call it to be to retain a customer and get them to be your advocate. So you need to have that that strategy as well. And of course, uh, at the end of the day, uh, regardless of what it is, uh, especially in Indonesia, you still need your offline uh offline activation right even though you're 100 uh digital business um and also of course the another big thing in indonesia as well is influencer marketing right and all of this uh well maybe not all right uh, it's actually a uh, big part of the the 360 marketing depending on the brand and of course the product and services as well
0: so just to kind of uh like further like kind of because this is slightly confusing for a lot of people and uh, mm. so when we talk about social media and then we talk about influencers and then we also talk about ads right so usually what happens is people run ads on the social media platforms and mm. the influencers are also people with large following on the social media platforms yes that's correct so mm. so how do how do we kind of like think through this like if i'm a if i'm a brand um, trying to like, kind of use social um, as a way how do i kind of kind of think segregate or think about it properly right like at what stage do these people come in how does this work
1: okay so um i had a client um, which is a it, it's kontakukum.com but right? it's a legal online platform so it's a, it's a bit challenging it's not retail right mm-hmm. so um for for all my clients, basically, what I tend to do first is get, of course, for me to get to know the brand and the product. That's that's the the the, the basic thing. But actually, uh, uh, collaborate with the with the brand owners or the founders to create a story. So every every campaign that we want to create, we create a story first instead of naming it campaign because then it get very technical and very marketingy. So we want to create a story. Let's say, for example, the story is, uh, I want to help a, a fashion business owner to make sure that they have their legalities and they have their trademarks, for example. That's the story. So from that story, we did a bit of market research, right? And who's actually the uh, standard marketing, you know, who's the player out there, who's the competitors and the mm-hmm. pricing, that sort of things. Once we get that, we find an angle, right? Let's say the angle will be, okay, look, our competitors just slashed their prices. And we don't want a price war, so we want to we want to elevate the brand, make it into more trustworthy. Okay, so the story will become: uh, we want to help a fashion designer to register their company and do their trademarks with a trustworthy company. So from that story, then we 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 narrate the whole social media activities. Like right? let's say, for example, we do the posts, we do this, we have the ads, right? And we we tend to have this one narrative that actually. Uh, branches out. Let's say again with that brand, right? So I'll I'll, I'll create the story about about uh, a, a brand, a, a fashion brand that wants to do, uh, that need to register their brand because they don't want to get stolen. They need to have the, the company registered. We have that narrative done. We put it in our website, in the blog, right? And that blog will be segmented into a social media post. In the social media post, of course, then you will telling the story how important it is. Get a bit of uh, testimonials, that sort of things. Do we need an influencers? In this case, yes, because the product is nationwide, right? There are cases where you only have three outlets, <laughs> you know, for example. don't worry about influencers yet, right? Yes, we do get an influencers, and you know, one of the fashion brand as well that use our services. They happens to be an influencers, and um, yeah get them to tell the stories. And all of these messages are reinforced by paid ads. right? By, and then the, the paid ads actually pushing the story forward with an additional uh, call to action or a conversion campaign based on that story to make them go to the website and basically click buy. So I think that's that's one, one, uh, one stream from, from story to execution that is actually, um, how to set more cohesive, rather than oh, just do the social media and and, and do that and 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 we do that story every two three months, for example, depending on the story. Uh, I think it's easier for the clients to understand when I say the story instead of the campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this this is something that I I, I learned sometime back as well. So uh, essentially, it's all about like every brand brand should come up with their narrative first. And then from the narrative, different stories come, as you said, and uh, you've, you've actually taken this one step further where you're saying, okay, a brand has a narrative, then every three months, there's a new story, which essentially a nice is a campaign, story. right? And then followed with a campaign, reinforced with a campaign to for call to action. This is a very nice way to kind of think about it. So this yeah. is quite cool, actually. Uh, yeah. So one more thing you you were talking about, and this is something that so when we think about marketing expenses right like so we we think about this whole marketing 360 we do ads um uh, some people focus on seo um SEO. yeah some folks are really good on marketing like you know they will like instagram they will be like live on instagram all the time now tiktok right so it's but at the end of the day when you get a customer and what we've seen, so we, we did a, a study on over 1.5 million online stores. And what we found was that less than 20% people actually place a second order on any store. Mm. And your customers who place actually 10 orders are less than like half a percent mm. from the one. So now this retention is like a big, big challenge, right? So you t- briefly touched upon retention, right? Like uh, having that bit of a CRM component to retain customers, right? Mm. In e-commerce, the way we see this is like um, uh, so. Inside Coningal, we've we've got one of this automation whereby as soon as somebody places an order, we send them an automated coupon for the second order. Because what we see, right. we, because what we see, as soon as you get that second order, your customer lifetime value actually four x's on an average. Yeah. So in your view, so now I want to like kind of look at it from the marketing angle. So do you think that being able to retain customers longer or having a higher customer lifetime value, um, does it, does it, so there are two ways to think, right? You, the same customer is buying again, again, so you're spending less on marketing. That's one. That is the standard way people think about it. What I want really your input on is like, say somebody does having multiple customers uh coming back and buying eventually lower down your expenses on your fresh marketing to get new customers i hope you understand or it's it's not
1: yeah, yeah totally understand, totally yeah. understand. so mm.
0: does, so does it does it lower down your cost of acquiring a new customer
1: uh of course like let's say for example again with the with the legal services our cpa is very high Right, and people are saying, well, Oh, you're crazy. Why your CPA is very high while you're doing digital ads? It doesn't matter, right? Every business is, is different. CPA can be high, but our uh, basket value is very high. <laughs> you know, for example, I spend probably uh, my CPA $120 per person, for example, but they spend 500 $600 at a time, and they we do get the retention because uh, we have an automation in place and make sure again the story was trust before right so once they are comfortable with our service we do have a system where we do touch them right in in, in, in several uh, um, points right and and of course it, we do have a, a reward system as well for example so we do all these kind of things but this is for legal right I mean um, once you are com- let's say for example you do you have a lawyer you know you, you tend to stick with the lawyer until that lawyer screws you over and then you move to the next one or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, right, yeah. You still have that loyalty. But if we're talking about e-commerce which is the, the one you mentioned with, with most of your survey happens, right? Uh, we did a, a a clothing line we have a fashion brand right we have to understand the market. The market is there's no loyalty. So don't don't spend too much time and too much effort, especially manual effort, if you don't have an automation, to, to gain that. So what we do is we look at the data and um, let's say State digit, State of Digital 2022. Uh, they rank uh, what is the the uh, the influences on on how they, they spend in e-commerce. Number one is free shipping, right? Number two is is uh, is discount. Number three is bundling. Right? And then, and then the rest is 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 the the the, the fancy stuff, you know, the story influences and, and reviews and that sort of things. So I just focus the top two or top three because some most of these brands they don't have big budgets, right? So if we know it's it's free shipping, then once they they purchase something straight away, we'll offer them the next stuff with a discounted price with free shipping again, and it they they tend to to we we tend to retain them two or three rounds, right? And then they disappear. Then we we put them in this different segment, put in an email automation, WhatsApp automation. And every season that we have, we'll push that again and and do the same thing over and over again. Does the, uh, your question will be, uh, does the, the customer acquisition cost lower? It might not because we keep looking for new ones all the time so that's that part but do my revenue increase because of the retention rate yes, yes. if my AR increase yes but that's not necessarily the the cost of acquisition is lower
0: so we can so say so so in uh, according to your experience we can definitely say that the cost of acquisition of a new customer does not decrease if if you retain your old customers longer, it's just that the old mm. old customers buy more, so eventually you make more money on them rather than the new ones. That's one.
1: correct. Mm. So
0: we the new ones are the most expensive customers that you have with the least profit margin. Mm,
1: definitely, but that's the most important one, isn't it? <laughs> that regeneration you, you need to do all the time.
0: <laughs> awesome. So just just a quick one again, right? Uh, uh, since you are the like you are an expert on this, like so CPA. You mentioned the term CPA. Could you help, uh, uh, like, define simply, like, explain what CPA is for those who will not so know?
1: There's two two CPA for my CPA. Uh, the one I'm I'm talking about is cost per acquisition. So how much, uh, cost or how much money did I need to spend to acquire this one customer, right? For a fully digital uh, business, it's basically just the um uh, total ad spend right and divided by in in a certain period of time and divided by how many people actually purchase your product then you have your cpa
0: so just to tie this back to the previous uh uh, uh like attribution period that you talked about so essentially two weeks is, mm. is that correct That
1: yes that's correct
0: yes if, if i spend like hundred dollars and if i get like uh like five customers within two weeks that means my cost of acquisition of a new customer is like Twenty dollars.
1: Mm, that's correct.
0: Okay, cool. Sounds. It
1: get more complicated once you have like, brick and more time. You do other marketing activities. You need to actually feel, um, uh, group all your marketing activities into one, and then you divide it by how many customers that you get. Then you get your true CPA. Basically, it is it's simpler if you do just a fully online business. Hmm. So
0: it's very interesting that you test upon the state of digital report, and you said the top three factors were actually free shipping. Discounts and bundling, right? Yes, that's So, if you if you inherently go back, you funnel it back. Uh, then, essentially, all of these three things mean pricing at that's the end correct. of the day, right? Yes.
1: Correct.
0: And and in fact, uh, uh, our whole thing around like Cornigal came about when we read this uh, paper by McKenzie uh, in two thousand four. They said that one percent. If you're able to increase your pricing by a percent and keep your like sales almost same you can grow your profit margin by approximately eight percent right now but but when you talk about the state of digital here you're talking about pre-shipping discount bundling all of this means your ability to reduce prices as as a brand right and and it, it that is what is driving like purchase decisions right so what is your what what are what are your thoughts around like importance of pricing in e-commerce um,
1: pricing i think is quite paramount right but um, setting the pricing that's a that's a, a science and an art of its own right and it it takes a lot of work right um, when we're talking about the, the top 3 uh, drivers drivers for people to purchase right it's actually a a perceived uh, not perceived value is a, a perception that the cheaper is uh, the, the price is cheaper but as a, an operator you need to be smart of it like say for example uh the price might be lower but your margin might be higher like say for example uh with the with the with the fashion for example or we in, in the fashion businesses they have like they have periods right they have a set periods. So i said the first three months i have to sell full price the second period i need to sell probably maximum 30 percent and then uh, the next period we clearance sales, right? And all of this period has been calculated into the pricing. So when you go to the third or the fourth period, you still make margin, or at least you get your money back, right? And the first second period is where you where you get your your profit basically. So if if we're talking about number three, the bundling, then we can bundle the the product from the first period, and the third period. The retail price RRP is so much cheaper, but at least you're still making money. And then, for example, for the for the free delivery, for example, I'll, I'll look at my order. I go, uh, I, my order is three thousand units per month, five thousand units per month. I go to Shopee, hey, you know, give me give me support for the for the for the delivery. Or I'll take my business somewhere else, and then you just give it to us. That sort of thing. So I mean, there's a lot of aspect that you need, you can play with to um to have the attractive pricing but yet you still maintain your margin or even your profitability
0: so if you if, if this is quite quite uh, true because uh say you when you when you talk about the fashion business and then they have these phases so essentially uh, the way we we think about it is we call this as like price skimming it's it's just yeah. like Apple is a master at it or Samsung, like any Samsung phone when it comes out is like $1,200. And then eventually you can get it for like $500, $600, like two years down the line. Right. Okay. So so essentially what we did inside Conigl is that we actually have a price skimming automation where you set and you forget. So it will keep dropping the price over a period of time. And essentially so that you maximize your margins. Because what we see is like a lot of brands make a mistake where they will like sell at a certain price till day 180 and on hun- day 181 when they want to put the new stock in they will essentially like basically sell it for like 99% off
1: <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs>
0: this, right. is, this is where they lose a lot of money so that's we right. actually did this whereby we said okay you could actually like mark down uh, over a period of time but your other point around like uh, like when you talk about free shipping um, and being able to negotiate, I think this is something which is super, super important. Um, uh, we recently learned on one of our interviews uh, with somebody in the US who runs a company called Profit Trust, and they were talking about uh, how they help. It's just not like negotiating rates, but also there are, with deep, with uh, DHL, UPS, uh, and shipping providers like these, there are actually 35 heads on which they can actually get back refunds for you. Because mm, right. they, made, they made errors. So you, you can actually squeeze another like 7 to 10% of margins on shipping. So I think this awareness is super, super important. But I really loved your tactic of like bundling uh, slow-moving stock <laughs> with new stock, right? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah.
0: And uh, that kind of is like a good way to think about bundling as well.
1: I guess the principle of thing is very simple. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you're not making money from the, 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 the price increase. The way you make money is from the margin, right? So there's two ways on getting and maximizing the margin. It's actually getting the price higher. And of course you can get the the, the, the cost lower, right? So you might not be able to increase the price, like especially when you are a commodities, right? You, you, you tend to just lower the prices all the time for commodities, right? But as long as you've got your company efficient, Right? Um not many manpowers, get automation, um, get at the right deals and um, press down that cost, right? And then you, you still have your the margin that you want, and then it's just one way to do business basically.
0: Awesome, awesome. So actually we, we, we've kind of synthesized uh like the ways to make more money online and so there are seven seven things that you can do. And one of it is to reduce costs which you have so eloquently like just explained right like just put down like i think this is like so true so true yeah,
1: yeah.
0: so like so today we are like say say there is a brand today which like has started actually like 90 percent of all uh people whom we know <laughs> as our company i <laughs> have actually come online during the COVID pandemic because they had no mm. option mm. uh but now as they as things kind of like open up and things are normalizing way more than what it was like two years ago, they are also starting to like kind of think like is Q, is is e-commerce real right or is it that <laughs> it, is, it is just going to be this one fun experiment that we do and our offline businesses is going to like kind of uh, finance this forever right yeah. um, so how do you see e-commerce evolving in the next three to five years? according to you?
1: I mean, you know, e-commerce is here to stay. They're not going anywhere, you know. Um, our life becomes so digitalized and 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 we are reliant on it. Like, I mean, I use e-commerce every day from a simple food delivery up to a marketplace, buying stuff for my kids, my family, even for the fish tank right here. I can buy fish using, using marketplace nowadays, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I don't need to go to the fish store and go to each one of them. I just browse and you can get it right away right uh, and i think uh it, it become a, a a bigger part of our life without we are realizing it right i, I know the older generation doesn't really use it you know my, like my mom asked me to buy shit from the from, oh sorry <laughs> my mom <laughs> asked me to buy things from, from the, the application right yeah. and i mean for the younger generation the younger they get i mean it becomes a part of their life all this e- e-commerce especially when they are very comfortable using um electronic payments but e-commerce need to evolve as as any other businesses And it's going to evolve right and we have to follow it like let's say um not, like say for example in the u.s amazon right from five days delivery three days delivery <laughs> one day delivery like now now it's one hour delivery Right. it's, it's the evolution of e-commerce right I'm, i don't know where that where it's gonna evolve um the next five years um especially with this um Sort of the, like ai revolution mm-hmm. but even though it's it's i think it's it's um it's over what do you call it over um um over advertised i should say <laughs> or even like you know people have been taking people have been uh over utilizing this ai revolution to try to get a bit a quick buck right yeah uh, it'll, it'll die down and 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 somehow it will revolutionize e-commerce as well um not mention um, uh, metaverse is gonna I'm revol- uh, uh, gonna change e commerce as well, but you know, at the moment, it's all on hindsight and um, it, it's there. But we're waiting for the next Steve Jobs <laughs> trying to make it something wonderful out of it, isn't it? <laughs> I wish it was me, but <laughs> here I am, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of uh I think I, I kind of uh, agree that uh, this entire AI thing is uh, is so is fundamentally. If you see the history of doing business, the most money is got by uh, like the step change in technology. Um, although what we're seeing in generative AI is a step change, but I think the ability to use it is very important. It's like saying that you have a calculator but you don't know what to calculate right
1: like that is you,
0: hard. you need to know what to calculate then only it can help you calculate faster so i think the ai thing is also similar you need to know how you want to use it then it can help you do things faster and efficiently right uh yeah so that's great that's great so uh we've, we've like kind of come to uh towards the end of the um chat so i think what if like say let's take a hypothetical scenario right you had all e-commerce merchants in the world sitting and listening to you what would be that one thing that you would tell them that they can take away and like that can help them i'm putting you a bit on the spot here but like
1: Hmm, that's a a million dollar question no it's actually 10 billion dollar (laughs) question (laughs) you <laughs> know I, I can answer that right you know <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll i'll be somewhere in caribbean on my boat <laughs> somewhere but um with that saying let's say if i have to pick one thing that i can share with them with all the commerce e-commerce out there is um uh, find your narrative don't don't give in to price war mm-hmm. that's all i can say you know uh, you can you can be competitive in your pricing, but you shouldn't go to a price war. I think that's a bit of the difference. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, price war means you know, you have to be lower than competitors. Whatever the competitor is doing, you have to be lower. Uh, while uh, competitive pricing depends on your market, depends on your situation. It can be skimming. right? Uh, you can be 10% higher, 10% lower. And then you're being supported by your marketing activities. Or it can be you know, premium. I don't care about who are uh, the other people. I'm premium, you know. I'll charge this much because I have value. Or your commodity. You just said you are going to be the always the lowest in the market, for example. And being all, uh, the lowest in the market is not bad either, either whether it's for long run or for short run. Short run, you wanna kill some of your competitor, for example, right? Or for for you know for a long run, and then because this is your product, as long as you still get your margin. As I said, you know. Um, getting profit for your business not, not necessarily increase the price it's just to increase your margin and once you are comfortable your brand is comfortable with the pricing that you said it can be dynamic can change all the time but you have to be comfortable and not reactive to your competitor mm-hmm. i think that's where the money is
0: So i think the key insight is that you can focus you can use pricing to like create a brand like your brand can be synonymous with certain kind of pricing, which is always true, right? Some are premium brands, some are commoditized brands, some are like always on discount, for example. But I think the key thing that you said is that your pricing should not be reactive to your competition. Right. You need to be in a position to set your price your way based on your narrative.
1: That is correct. Even even with the with the most premium brand, they are actually doing all of this that you think of, but you just don't see it. For example... You see, like big brands. Let's say, for example, Gucci. Right? They sell a premium on the first season, and then the rest they they do a bit of uh, a bit of discount. And if you've noticed, the product disappeared because they go to the third world country and do a massive sale and discount about it. Right? They just doing it on a global scale. You just don't realize it, but they are actually doing the same thing. But you have you have your own uh, pricing art that you are comfortable with with your brand. And and you you, you mentioned it uh, again and again, Jatin. Don't as long as you're not reactive to your competitors i think that's where where you'll be safe
0: awesome awesome thanks a lot thanks a lot for your time today Uh, no problem pleasure pleasure speaking to you and quite a few great insights that we've we've been able to get